Let's pray. Living God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for the opportunity to be together here again. We uh, come with uh, a desire to have hearts that are opened before you. We pray that uh, you would guide that process, that we would not merely be hearers of your word today, but we might be doers of it. Help us not just to hear, but to really listen to your voice that speaks so well and gently to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, I've had some interesting conversations about the Olympics. Thank you, Stephen, for uh, drawing us uh, to that theme. Um, I know uh, the Olympics for some is just the joy of watching competitors at their sports, sweating, all of that. I've talked to some friends about how they don't necessarily like all of the the backstories and uh, athletes and the obstacles that they've uh, overcome to be where they are today. That's the part I've loved since I was a little kid. I love listening to the stories and, and hearing the struggles and what made it difficult for them to be where they are today and how what they're doing now is so remarkable. And uh, one of the athletes I uh, have been um, just learning about this year is Simone Biles. Uh, the great female gymnast, and I don't ever watch gymnastics, uh, just don't really have the opportunity, but when the Olympics come around, I love watching what they do because I could never do it as a kid. I could, I could never climb the rope to the ceiling in the gym. Could you? How many of you could climb the rope in gym class? I see one, two, three, four. I don't like you anymore. I see, I see another four or five over here. I, I couldn't do it. And so when I watch gymnasts at their work, I can barely flip into a swimming pool. And so watching them do what they do is just so remarkable to me. Simone Biles won the uh, all-around <clears throat> gold medal where they combine all the events and put them together. And it wasn't just that she won, but it was the way that she won. And it was the gap and the margin by which she won. Did you know she won by such a wide margin? And she is just a phenomenal athlete. I just marvel at how high she gets on her tumbling runs and the floor exercise. Yes, I've learned some of the vocabulary of gymnastics. But it is just remarkable. And um, she, um, she won by such a large margin. If you add it up, the victories over the last nine Olympic Games for the female gymnast who won the all-around, and you totaled their margin of victory for all of those nine past Olympics and added them up, she, would, she finished with a higher margin of victory this one Olympics than all of the past nine combined since 1980. That is dominance. Now, she's only four foot, eight inches tall. You talk about a dynamo in the gym, gymnastics field. In an interview, she described the training that she went through, and that's the part I love. And she describes her background and things, but she also talked about in high school how she has to sacrifice other things that other students are doing, her friends are doing, things like proms and other really important events. But she w and other athletes are willing to sacrifice those particular things because they've chosen a course of life that demands discipline if they're going to accomplish and to develop uh, the, the type of skills that they need to, to move forward. Her goal is to maximize the calling and the talents that God has given her, just like every other Olympic athlete. Uh, they intentionally choose 
to discipline their life and to go into strict training to make that happen. Training is a word sometimes interchangeable in the Scripture with the word discipline. And it is critical to the, the proper development in any facet of life. Stephen mentioned that school is starting again, and I know all of our students are super excited that school has either begun or is about to begin. But, you know, teachers know the importance of discipline and training and the regularity of it. It's the method that a good teacher uses or a good coach uses or a good parent goes about shaping and guiding their child into the life that they ought to live. A master technician will spend time teaching and training, a supervisor at work, and even God is one who takes the time that is necessary in your life and mine to develop us and to shape us, to discipline you, to train me, so that we might have a life that is developed more and more into the likeness of Jesus, so that the life that we live is the very best life that we could ever imagine or hope for. You know, Christians are lives that are being trained by God as a heavenly coach and a teacher. The training, though, can be hard, right? That's what I love about the Olympic backstories is they talk about the grueling nature of their training at times. It's hard. And our life and our training in Christ-likeness at times can be difficult. Learning life lessons for the glory of God can be uncomfortable at times. It requires endurance and it requires perspective. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, we read these words, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. <laughs> Don't you love how frank the Bible can be sometimes? I looked at multiple English translations of that word, and almost all of them use the word stupid. <laughs> stupid. I can hear my brother saying, Don't be stupid. The King James Version uses the word brutish. That sound good? It's brutish. You're brutish if you hate correction. You see, part of the calling that God places in us who love and want to follow behind Jesus is to be people, to be a person who can receive correction and understands the proper perspective at the way God would want to train and disciple and to discipline your life and mine. But there are times that we struggle against it. There are times we want to reject it. There are times that we just want to refuse what God wants to do most deeply in us. And so why in the world would God discipline us? Why would God go to all the effort to train and the time it takes? Let me ask the question a different way. Why wouldn't God want to shape our lives if He truly loves us? Why wouldn't He want to invest the time and to know you in such a personal way, to know where you need to grow and be stretched? Well, that is a great question. It is precisely because God loves you that He will call you into moments of training. He will call you in seasons where you will be disciplined so that you can be developed into the person God wants you to be. And down deep, it's the person you need and want to be the most yourself. Sometimes I find 
that it is difficult to receive God's correction because it's difficult for us at times to receive and to understand the depth of His love for us. You see, God says in Proverbs chapter 3 that He will discipline the one whom He loves. You see, a parent who loves a child will not let that child just go and do anything they want, do they? A parent's job, part of it is to shape and to develop the child, to help them think, not just train in manners, but what does it mean to respect other people? To develop them in their life and in the way that they relate to other people and ultimately relate to God. God, because He loves you, He calls you to places of discipline. He will at times discipline your life. He wants to train and to shape and to develop you. He doesn't just let you go off and do anything you want to do. If it's dishonoring or displeasing to Him, He wants to call you back to the life, the abundant life that He has prepared for you. The Lord disciplines those whom He loves. If God didn't care, He would just leave you alone. Right? If a parent didn't care about a child, he or she would just... Let the child do anything they want, make any decision they want, and they wouldn't care about the results. But because God does care for you, His desire is to guide your life. You see, the word in the Scripture, I know many of you know this, but the word disciple means to be a student. It's to be a learner of someone else. And that describes the who. That, that's us. We are disciples of Jesus, people who learn by following we see what Jesus does and did, and we go and do similarly in our lives. So that's, that's the disciple. That describes the who, but the word discipline describes the what. It is the process that trains and develops and shapes a soul. So I want us to look in Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer here picks up this verse, these verses out of Proverbs chapter 3. And he describes one of the ways that God trains and uses to shape our life. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. The Bible says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. And now he's quoting back from Proverbs 3. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness." No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So what is one way that uh, this passage describes 
and explains the way God disciplines and trains His beloved. Well, it's through circumstances of life. Circumstances that surround your life in different seasons can be and usually are opportunities for you. If you would accept them, they are opportunities for you to examine your inner life, your inner world, where you meet most intimately the presence of the God who loves you, and it leads you into some places. Sometimes it's the particularly difficult circumstances that put you in a position, put me in a position to think more deeply about the way I'm allowing God to organize and orient my life within. Tough times like the loss of a job. Crummy circumstances like you've just finished paying your college fees for your child and now your car breaks down and you've got extra funds that you don't have. Suffering and pain like a death in a family. All of these and many more are circumstances that can be opportunities for us to allow God to walk with us in examining our inner world and how we're responding to Him. Asking questions like, do I have misplaced priorities in my life? Am I doing what Jesus has called me to do in seeking first and foremost above all else in my life, the kingdom of God, to be known in my life and in my family and wherever I am placed? Or is there something else that's become the centerpiece and the priority of my life? You can ask questions like, are there habits that need to be rekindled in my life? Perhaps things that I once did when my spiritual life was thriving and now I see that I need to re recommit or revisit some of these things. Am I allowing God to be a close, constant companion or am I pushing Him away in some way as an unwelcome intrusion in my life? How do you approach God in that? Are you regularly engaged in the Christian habits that allow your mind and heart to embrace God's? You ever notice when a difficult trial or circumstance comes to your life, do you tend to pray more? <laughs> you tend to seek God more earnestly and more desperately than you do in other times of your life? I do. There are opportunities for us to explore the depth and the nature and the the character of God in ways that we often wouldn't. In Hebrews 12, verse 10, it says, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. That is God's desire for you, is that you might share in the very holiness of God. Susan bought me a book a few years ago, and I finally had a chance to open it up recently. It's a novel, and I, I'd love to go back, and I need to scour my history books. I don't know how much of it is history, but I'm enjoying it a lot. It's called Gutenberg's Apprentice. And uh, Johann Gutenberg, of course, in Germany, is the one <coughs> credited for uh, inventing and uh, perfecting the printing press. And... Um, the, the story uh, traces an adopted son of a German father who uh, he's grown up. This is in the, the time of uh, European history when so much of work was done in apprentice-master relationships. You, you would grow up, you would learn a trade as an apprentice, and you would learn it under the, the teaching and instruction of a master. So the title of the book is Gutenberg's Apprentice. Peters, the lead character, he's in Paris as we open the book. 
And he's, uh, tra- he's not just training, he's a well-developed scribe, meaning he, he's the one, there's no printing press, right? So he's translating and transmitting uh, documents, books, and all sorts of things. And then he gets this unexpected, he was about to launch into a, a great new level in his career, and his dad calls him back to man's Germany to be introduced and to work with this eccentric man named Johann Gutenberg. And so the book unfolds. It describes the, the printing process and developing the letters. Really cool. But what happens is that as he now is kind of returning back to the bottom rung in the whole apprentice-master relationship, and he's learning from a master craftsman, and what he begins, you begin to see part of the the his person be shaped. It's almost like... Um, you're seeing in his life the, the master uh, taking the hammer and chisel and carving out, knocking off the difficult and rough bits of his life. But in one part of the book, a sentence that comes that really captures what he was going through and what I think God would have us understand about apprenticing and working with God and allowing Him to work in us. Here's what he says, is that the work of the apprentice is the taming of all impulse, in place of pride, humility, impatience mastered, then subdued. The work of the apprentice, cooperating with the work of the master, not lurching out ahead, being patient and waiting, not walking in pride, but choosing to live in humility. I don't know how you respond to discipline. There's a lot else that we could say. But there are a lot of responses that we can have when God comes and wants to shape and discipline and train your life and mine. Sometimes an option open to us is to stiffen up and to become rigid and to say, nope, this is a pattern of my life. I'm not going to let it be touched by God. Nope, I'm not going to let God work in that area of my life. Nope. Right? That, that's, a, that's a possible response. The Scripture reminds us, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not discount it. Do not despise it. But receive it. Receive it into your life. In fact, in the Old Testament, often in different seasons, the people, as they were not responding rightly to God, they were often described as stiff-necked people. People who were unwilling to submit themselves to God, people who are unwilling to bend their knee to God, people who are unwilling to put themselves physically, and it represented the condition of their heart, but they're unwilling to bow themselves before the presence of God in their life. And they were described as stiff-necked people, unwilling to cooperate with the work that God wanted to do among them. So that's a response that's open to us. When we sense God wanting to shape and touch an area of our life, we can... Stiffen up and say, nope, I'm not going to let God do it. Another response is what I call being jelly need, is where instead of being stiff, it's just the opposite. We just kind of crumble under uh, the, the embarrassment of it or the shame maybe of an area being exposed in our life. And the problem with being jelly need is that, uh, as, at least as the way I'm explaining it, is, is that it's, it's receiving the embarrassment of God pointing out something in my life but doing nothing about it. And not letting God work in our life because we can become so overwhelmed with shame or guilt and that we rest ourselves there rather than allowing God to come and deal with the guilt and to deal with the shame and to touch that area of our life. And in either of these responses, what happens is that there may be a pus-filled 
pocket of poison in our life. And God says, I want to deal with that issue for you. And in both either the stiff stiff response or the jelly-kneed response, we don't allow God to do the very thing that He wants to do and the thing that we most need Him to do in our lives to bring restoration to an area of our soul. A better way is to humbly accept and to cooperate with God. Now, there may be embarrassment or shame or whatever it is, but you know what? If we're not true with who we are before the Lord and allow Him to do what He desires to do, then we won't see the growth and the development. We won't see the discipline in our Christian lives as God would desire it. Um, we, Our family had the chance to spend about four days in Washington, D.C. I hadn't been there in over 20 years. And it's the first time I got to see a lot of things there that I had not yet seen. One of the things on our agenda, I took uh, Owen and Jake, we went off to the Arlington Cemetery in the, to see the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Very meaningful. Uh, my my, I don't have any family buried there. My dad was a Korean War veteran. And so I just have great respect and just wanted to see the changing of the guard. And in the summer, they changed the guard every 30 minutes. And so we had timed our visit. And we'd walked through the seminary and made our... Or cemetery. <laughs> seminary can be a cemetery sometimes, but... We made our way to the cemetery and up to that part of the cemetery. And as you walk, it's just this amazing uh, structure there made out of marble. And uh, you, you make your way. Uh, you can either go on one of two sidewalks. And on either sidewalk, there's a sign there. It says, Silence and Respect in bold letters. So you know you're entering a place that you better behave, right? So, And you just want to be respectful to honor the, the place. So as we walk in, and there's probably a hundred people standing in some amphitheater areas. And what you have, if you've never been there, is you've got a, a tomb there symbolically representing those who have fallen in war that uh, we don't know perhaps what became of them. And you have a soldier walking, and he makes a straight line about a 30-yard distance, I would estimate. And he walks from one end to the other, and he stands there for a few minutes, and then he makes his course back to the other end. And he turns around and stands there for a few minutes. Every time his eyes are fixed straight ahead as he's walking this way, if he's walking this way, his eyes are fixed straight ahead. I mean, there's no movement. It's almost mechanical. It's really neat to see. Well, when they change the guard, the sergeant comes out with the replacement soldier, and they march over. And uh, uh, as he stands, he addresses those like me watching. And uh, he says, ladies and gentlemen, um, he says it you know, very sternly. He says, we're, uh, what you're about to see is, uh, and he tells us what it is. He says, please... Honor this moment by standing, which we already were, but remaining standing, and with silence. No problem. Okay. So Jake has one camera, my son Jake, and Owen has my phone and he's videoing. And so doing a great job. We're all being really quiet. And in, in the moment, I, I hear um, about, I don't know, 10 or 15 feet down, down the way, a little girl starts laughing in the moment. I said, ooh... Those parents, shame, shame, shame. That's what I said to myself, not really. But uh, I was thinking, oh, I'm glad my, me and my children are not doing that. <laughs> well, everything ends, and uh, the sergeant and the soldier that's been relieved of duty, they've gone away. The new soldier is now making his course back and forth. Um, one of my sons hands me the phone just to show me the video he took. and So we're kind of huddled around it, and I'm sitting trying to push the volume down so we could watch without listening. And all of a sudden, as we're all three huddled around the phone, I hear this. Please silence your cell phone. <laughs> and I look up, and that soldier had stopped his walking, and he was looking right at us. <laughs> I don't think I'll 
probably never forget. <laughs> the, the embarrassment, um, if I had a hole that would dig through mar- or a tool that would dig through marble, I might have dug a hole for us right there, and we would just climb in and just try to wash away. That was my jelly knee desire to respond. Um, if I were a different temperament, I might have kind of seized up and said, "Look, man, it was a mistake. We're trying to silence it. Don't you see? That could have been a response to us too. But what we chose to do was neither leave nor stand up and fight. That certainly wasn't wouldn't have been right in any way. But we just said, "This is what I said." <laughs> Clicked the phone off, and we just kind of stood there in our humiliation for a moment. And uh, wasn't intended. I'm not making light of that in any way. But that. That is the way that we are to respond when God comes to us and He points out an area of life that He wants to touch and deal with is that as best we can, as we humbly accept and acknowledge and we cooperate with God. Jesus said that He has come to give you life and life to its full as we are people who are willing to cooperate with God's Spirit in and around us. So here's what you might do the next time God points out an area of your life where He wants to train and shape you is to remind yourself that God loves you. Okay? Circumstances come to your life. It's unpleasant. It's uncomfortable. First thing you could do is to remind yourself that God loves you. You might say something like this. Even though this is not a circumstance I'm pleased about, I am God's beloved, so He will develop me. I am God's beloved, so He will develop me. Can we say that together? I am God's beloved, so He will develop me. You are God's beloved. He shapes and trains and disciplines those whom He loves. Here's another thing you might do. is to remember that God uses hard things to grow me in areas that I would likely ignore if I could. Right? So God will call you to examine areas of your life that you would be happy to ignore if you were just left alone. But God loves you too much to leave you alone and He wants your life to be shaped and He'll... invite you into training and discipline and because He loves you. Here's a third thing you might do. is to remember that as you endure this, you will grow in the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 12. That as you endure these things, you have the opportunity to grow in the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 27 says, The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. In mid-September, we're looking to relaunch our small group home Bible study that Chris mentioned to you. Uh, The theme uh, that we're honing in on, we're going to make a decision this next week, will likely involve personal spiritual disciplines in ways that God would invite you into regular training with Him that would shape your soul in regular ways. And here's a key factor. Why would we do small groups? Why is that an important facet of church life? It's because we all need community around us in a way that's real, people who will actually be willing and we are inviting them to have a part in our lives. 
to be in some sort of regular time with them so that we want to learn to trust that we can love them and that they actually love me. Community is such a, an important facet of a church's life together if we are going to be open to all of the ways that God would want to shape and discipline and train and develop your life and mine. So I'm prayerful and hopeful that you will begin to pray about your being involved with one of our groups this fall, and you'll be hearing more about that in the weeks to come. Father, this is our prayer to you, is that we would be people who would not despise your discipline, but we would be those who cooperate with you, that we would not respond with stiffness nor with jelly knees, but we would humbly submit ourselves as you would deal with us, and we would see your work and your person growing within us. We are people who need you to work in us. We want it. Help us to have the strength and the courage to enter into the phases of growth that you have for us. We pray it for our individual lives. We pray it for our church life, for the health of this community, to be your people being shaped more and more into the likeness of Jesus. May it be so in his name. Amen.